Welcome to the Terminal Exchange, the official podcast of Newsbaum Transportation, where we explore key issues and compelling stories in the trucking industry. I'm your host, Sage Anderson, and you're listening to episode 102, Anthony Whitmore's Long Haul to Redemption. Sometimes God can answer us in our darkest moments in the most unexpected ways. Anthony's story will give you hope that God can work through our pains, addictions, and failures to bring about his good purpose in our life. Tune in more on this featured exchange to hear this gripping story of faith. Welcome, Anthony. Thank you. Um, So I, Anthony first stood out to me because, well, you first stood out to me because I think I was talking to Tian at the front and we were talking about how far some people travel for work. And you came in as a driver into the office and I found out that you drove an hour and 10 minutes to get to work, which means another hour and 10 minutes to get home. And yet when I met you, you looked so happy. You didn't seem tired or weary. And um, maybe some of us are more faint hearted, but a drive that long would be hard for me. (laughs) And you're really happy to be here. So, yeah, why don't you explain a little bit what makes this drive and this time worth it to be at Newsbaum? I think that uh, for me, the time here and the time, the travel here and the travel home is time for me to really just unwind and be grateful for everything that I have in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, coming from where I've dug myself out of <clears throat> to where I am today, it's it's sometimes easy to forget about the things that have made you you yeah <clears throat> and for me to make that drive and in the morning i'm replaying my 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 evening my day or what's going on and for me it's easy to take that time and pray and be conscious of how many blessings i've been blessed with over the last 10 years yeah um yeah yeah that's so who, yeah, let's let's start. Let's hear your story. Um, who is Anthony Whitmore? Where did you come from and where are you today? Right. So I was born and raised up in Princeton, Illinois area. Um, I went to Western High School. Um, I had on the surface what looked like a, a really normal upbringing. I had a, a wonderful mom and stepdad that raised me and three mm-hmm. stepbrothers. Um, but there was traumatic events that happened at a really young age, uh, between the ages of four and five. There was some pretty serious, severe abuse that took place um, that nobody knew about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I harbored that inside for uh, many years and <clears throat> never really opened up or talked about the, those specific events. Um, my mom and dad divorced when I was three. Mm -hmm. So it was just my mom and I, and she had got a great job and met my future stepfather Mm -hmm. who then they obviously got married and we all lived together. And, um, it was just pretty normal. I I was, uh, really big into athletics. Um, I had a stepbrother that was the same age as me. So we went through like first grade on through high school together. Um, playing basketball, football, track, ten, I mean, every sport you can think of, we did, and mm-hmm. it seemed really good. 
but I knew I knew I had this I was different I felt different I was a only child so like I had the only last name Whitmore mm-hmm. and my rest of my families were the O'Briens so it kind of felt weird so I kind of felt ostracized in that mm-hmm. manner nobody personally made me feel that way it's just kind of how I felt yeah um, and then you put that with the abuse that took place that nobody knew about and then like in that time frame um divorce and like step siblings wasn't really prevalent like it was kind of starting out and coming on so there was a lot of different things that i kind of just i tucked under and didn't really address or or deal with Mm -hmm. and um i don't know i mean life sometimes just throws you curveballs and some people can handle those different than others um, I think due to all those pr- previously mentioned circumstances, it caused me to be more susceptible to addiction. Yeah. Um, and that's the road I ended up on. Okay. Um, I spent the better part of like 20 plus years in a deep, dark addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't just <clears throat> with... it was all drugs it was it was more of anything that would alter my mind it was pretty bad um i was anti-society i was an atheist i didn't want any part of being in this life this you know nice neat Mm -hmm. uh picket fence life yeah. I thought it was ridiculous and I think a lot of that was just a defense to make it okay to live the way I lived sure um, through the years I've lost a lot of people mm-hmm. um, I've three three ex-girlfriends to overdose mm-hmm. um, I mean countless last I knew last time I really dug into it is like over 20 friends have died mm-hmm. to either suicide or overdose um, there was one time where my brother and I, this stands out quite strong in, in my daily prayers, is, or thoughts, is we were out in the cornfield um, doing some, some things illegal. And um, I remember looking out over the distance and saw this farmhouse. And I looked at my brother, I said, man, I said, why can't we have a life like that? Mm. Now, we were from a life like that. We had, you know, very successful mom and dad. And and he looked at me and he said, the only, the only way this thing's going to end is six feet under or in prison. Mm. And uh, I just remember how hard that hit me at that moment. Like, I don't think I'd ever felt more alone and scared and couldn't figure out what I had done wrong. I mean, and I was in my 30s at this point, you know, and it wasn't too many years later where he was right. Um, the, the feds caught up to us and what we were doing. And we got federally indicted for uh, um, conspiracy to distribute and manufacture methamphetamines. And... Um, it was uh, pretty wild how it all took place. Mm-hmm. I remember after that conversation with my brother, it was probably about a year or so later, um, I was in the garage um, doing 
doing some, uh, I was cooking dope, and um, I remember I had fallen asleep in the middle of it and about blew up the garage. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time since I was probably in junior high or maybe early high school that I had prayed. And I didn't really know who I was praying to or what I was praying to because my beliefs were so messed up. But I remember like breaking down. It was two days before my stepson's birthday. It was December and uh, right before Christmas, right before his birthday. And I just remember saying, please help me. I don't, this was in 2011. I'm like, I just need help. I don't, I can't stop. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't, I'm lost. I need help. Mm. And being able to piece this all together obviously took time. It's not like these events took place and I was able to see these as blessings. Yeah. Because it doesn't feel like blessings when you're going through it. Sure. But, excuse me. Um. It was three or four days later, um, they raided our house. Um, they arrested me and my son's mom, and they took us into county jail, and they charged us with uh, uh, manufacturing materials. And um, we sat from December 18th or so until the middle of January of 2012. My father, who like I had a relationship with, but barely, um, he didn't raise me. He, he came and bonded me out. And one of the conditions of him bonding me out was that I would seek treatment. So I had honestly wanted to get in treatment for many, many years. Um, there were several times where I had suicide attempts and they would talk to me and I would want to get in treatment. And then I would make a phone call and I didn't have insurance. And I was, it, it became more of a hassle and I was just easier to keep using. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, no, I'm not gonna, I can't afford it. So obviously nobody cares about me. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just that repeated behavior of, like I had the abuse that happened, nobody cared about me. My father left, nobody cares about mm-hmm. me. Nobody sees the pain and struggles I'm going through. Nobody cares about me. It's all this self-worth things that were tearing mm-hmm. me down. Um, Anyways, we got lined up with going to a rehab facility. I showed up there on, I finally got a bed February 14th of 2012. Um, And I showed up really high and it was not a good deal. I sat there for three days before I could really even be around the rest of the people at the rehab. Um, And then a week later, it was a Monday, the feds came to the rehab and they were looking for me to indict me Mm. for uh, my charges. Um, They had arrested my, my son's mother, I mean, and earlier that day, and I was arraigned at uh, 1600, I think it was on the 28th. So they took me in and I was sitting, I'll never forget where I was sitting on, on, a, on the floor in a cell and it hit me because I was looking at 20 years to life. Wow. And it was a mandatory minimum of 20 to life. Um, and 
I just felt like my life was over at that mm-hmm. moment. Um, it was. And was was this be your first time in prison? Correct. Okay. Yeah, I had gotten arrested earlier. So what it was is I had got arrested in 2009 for a possession charge. It was a felony possession, and I did six months in county and got out. And I think that's obviously what put us on the radar. Sure. Um, and then in 2011, in December, is when they raided our house and we got arrested again. And I remember being there and they were questioning me then. And I said, I, I took responsibility. I said, listen, all this, everything you found is mine. Mm-hmm. I was doing this. So I kind of admitted to everything that we did. I'm like, listen, I was, I was cooking meth. I, I, it was for me and my, and my girlfriend at the time. And I, you know, she didn't know anything about it, yada, yada, yada. Well, all of that gave them enough evidence to indict us federally versus statewide, mm. in which ultimately all became a blessing. Like, yeah. it's crazy to think, like, when you're going through that, I didn't feel like I was, my prayers were being answered. Yeah. You know, because it feels like, holy cow, here we go again. Nobody cares about me. My mm-hmm. life's in shambles. Yeah. It wasn't until later on through my recovery that I was able to look back and be like, oh, Thank you, God. Like you really did everything that needed to happen. Mm -hmm. If things didn't happen exactly how they happened from 2000, I mean, mean, really from all life, but if they didn't go down the way they did, I wouldn't be able to sit here today. There's no question I wouldn't be alive today. Um, So it's just wild to think like I was sitting there in that cell looking at 20 years of life and I'm just praying, God, please help me. I don't know what to do. I know I haven't been the best steward. I know I haven't been the best Christian. I know I'm not that person. I'm Mm -hmm. not the person that they're painting me out to be. I need help. Please help me. Yeah. Um, And they denied me probation or they denied me like pretrial, which is to get out and fight your case. So I had no bond. I couldn't get out on pretrial. However, two months after sitting in county, they came to me and said, listen, since you were in rehab, when we came and indicted you, we'll allow you to go back to rehab. And it's so crazy because I was just praying, please help me. Give me the tools I need to have a life, right? Yeah. Well, two months later, I'm released into the rehab custody. And <clears throat> that's really where my journey started. I mean, mm-hmm. I met an amazing guy, uh, Chris, who was my counselor. Um, he was my counselor when I was there when they indicted me. Mm-hmm. Um, I met, met some good friends, like Frank, who I still talk to to this day um, in rehab. But it was just so eye-opening to be sober for the first time in over 20 years to get sober, so I was, I got sober for like two weeks in county and then got out and was getting high again until I got indicted, which was like another month. And then I was sober for two months and they took me back into rehab. Well, to get that clear head and this fresh start, I was just like, listen, I've, I gotta run with this. This is the rest of my life. I, this is my opportunity to turn it around. I know I'm better than what I've been. Yeah. I know God's got a plan for me. There's been many others that have lost their life and I'm yet still here 
I need to really pay attention. So I just kind of soaked everything up in rehab, um, really put my heart and soul into all of it, um, prayed a lot, went to church a lot, got baptized on my own. And I don't think that it's um, a coincidence that I was in my darkest days in my addiction and a non-believer, and then I find a renewed faith mm-hmm. in my life begins to blossom. I mm-hmm. just don't think that's, I think it's real. You know yeah. what I mean? There's no doubt in my mind why and how come that happened. So at the rehab facility, was it like a Christian place or you met? So like, how did your faith begin to start again? So there, um, my counselor and I were talking and we were talking about prayers and he's like, well, I couldn't leave the facility. And the only way I could leave is if I went to church or if I went to like an AA or NA meeting. Mm -hmm. And so I was going to everything and it was on the south side of Peoria. And I was going to um, a church down there on the south side and they opened their arms and accepted me. And it was amazing. And they all gave me everybody at the church was just so I can't even describe how amazing it was. Like they, nobody judged me. Everybody built built me up and was like, you know, hey, just keep coming back and keep doing the right thing. And this whole time I'm all alone. Like I don't, I've got my mom that I can talk to and I see my, my son every once in a while, but my brother, he's in prison. My girlfriend at the time, we we had a no contact order, so we couldn't talk. So it was just me and the people. So and that was such a blessing too, because it allowed me to rebuild my life. Yeah. Um, and from there, it was about a. I, I was doing everything I can. I got a job. They allowed me to stay out while I fought my case. Um, they kept saying, no matter what, you're going to get 20 years. There's no way around it. Um, I had a good attorney. Um, it was, but there just really wasn't much I could do because it was a conspiracy case. Although it was only a conspiracy between my girlfriend and I, like it, a lot of these cases, there's like 20 or 30 people, but it was just the two of us. Um, there wasn't much we can do. The only thing I had going for me is I had no criminal background. Um, and luckily there was a loop, it turned out there was a loophole for zero criminal history points to where you could get, uh, I don't remember what it was called, but it's 87 months mm-hmm. is for first time offenders. It rarely happens. They usually knock people's head off. And the long short of it was the people that were in office at that time were pushing for lighter sentencing for first time offenders. Um, and they made some changes in the federal program, like federal sentencing guidelines, and that really saved me. Mm-hmm. Um, again, prayers answered. I'm praying like, hey, I'm not a terrible guy. I, I shouldn't do 20 years. I mean, I would still be there. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't get out until 29. Wow. Um, and I, it's just crazy to think of. I mean, you, I would have lost out on all this amazing things that I've done in the last eight years, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Long story short, that I got I got out. I went to rehab. I was there for ninety or one hundred and six days. Um, I worked really hard. I got, got a job landscaping and just doing whatever I could. I was going to church every Sunday and going to like the AA and NA and getting spend spend time with my son and mm-hmm. and uh, my mom. 
And the whole time they just kept saying, you're going to get 20 years, you're going to get 20 years. And it just kept weighing on me. Um, and on July 3rd of 2013, um, I had like, I had had many other suicide attempts by taking handfuls of pills or whatever, but um, I, I tried to kill myself. Um, mm -hmm. I had met a girl <clears throat> that we were dating and she relapsed and started to shoot heroin again. And mm -hmm. I called her up and I went there knowing like I don't, I didn't care anymore. I gave up. I yeah. gave up again because I just couldn't fathom doing 20 years. It was, it felt like a lot. Um, and they had misdiagnosed me as being bipolar because I was depressed about doing 20 years. So they had fed me some medicine for that. And it's just all this kind of got messy. And um, so I relapsed on July 3rd of 2013. Mm -hmm. um, I OD'd. Um, but it was exactly what I needed because I came to, and I remember gasping for air, and it was the first time in uh, a long time that I felt grateful and happy to be alive. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't want to die. And from that moment until now, I have never had a thought other than I want to do everything I can to live as long as I can. Mm -hmm. um, everybody's everybody's point is different. You don't have to hit rock bottom yeah. um, to hit rock bottom. Mm -hmm. um, that moment in my life, it was huge. I uh, ended up turning myself into my probation officer. Um, I was incarcerated then, and that's when my sentence started. I sat in county for a year, got sentenced, and then did roughly 40 months in federal uh, prison camp. Mm. I got released on September 6th of 2016. Mm. And I had spent the entire time incarcerated working on myself, um, working out, being healthy, um, doing, I went to RDAP, which was like an inpatient drug thing that they had like a which was nice I met an amazing lady there who is my RDEPs my my specialist there and she is she unlocked this whole self-worth problem that I had sure. um, I was able to dig deep into why and it was you know I first time I talked about the trauma from when I was super young and all these things kind of just started going poof and these light bulbs go, started going off in my head. It's like, holy cow, this happened and this is why this happened. And, yeah. and man, I prayed in that garage and God blessed me with being arrested. Like who would, you know, yeah. and I did 40 months in federal prison and had been happier in those 40 months than I could ever remember. Mm. And I remember sitting there all the time in there, you, you, you work hard at, I worked hard at becoming a better person every day. And I feel like doing the routine of getting up and trying to be healthy and trying to pray and trying to read the Bible and reading the books and, and doing the things that I needed to do to become a better human being. I would lay there and, and think about all this and like, you have no idea what your life's gonna be. You know, I know what it's been, I know what I want. And I remember I, I listened to music and 
I'd pray and I like, man, I just want to find a nice person, I, somebody I can grow old with, and somebody I or somebody I can stay young with, or <laughs> um, a good job. Uh, I, I would love to get that house, you know, that, like not that specific house, but that land out in the country. Um, I just there's these things and these goals, and you're laying in that cell and you're thinking, how am I going to attain all this? And all I knew, as long as I continued to be a good human being mm. and had faith and move forward and not dwell, but also don't forget, yeah, um, then everything's going to be okay, right? Mm. And that's what I just told myself over and over and over again. And it's just wild to sit back here today to think about where I was on September 6, 2016 and where I am today. It's, it's crazy, mm -hmm. you know? Um, yeah. Well, it, um, there's a verse, I'm not going to say it perfectly, but essentially, um, God talks about three things and says like, what does the Lord require of, of you? But to, um, to walk humbly with him, to love mercy, mercy and to do justly. And when you share your story, it just reminds me of all those things. The first thing that you had to do was walk humbly with God and just to be open and repentive and say, I, I know I've done wrong. And it sounds like when you had that meeting and you just told them the confession, like these, this is all mine. This is my things, this is what I've been doing. You took the blame. And then, so you're walking in humility and then you're, mercy is what God has given you. He was so merciful to shorten your sentence and to put you in a good place. And in return, I could see that fruit in your life too. <laughs> um, and then just to do justly is again, you were, you, you saw your time in prison as justice, as fair, as okay. I'm sober. I'm protect. I'm essentially protected in this place, and I'm taking this time to walk with God. And so it's really hard <laughs> to be in the situation and to see, like, how can God be working this for good when, yeah, like I'm in such a hard spot of my life. Like, how can how can God work out these hard circumstances for His glory and for His good? Um, but it sounds like sometimes we have no idea how to pray like and it's so wonderful to hear stories of people having these moments of prayer before they even realize who they're even praying to like before they even have that relationship or connection with God but to know like in our inward in our most being like there is a God and he does hear me yes. and to have those prayers and then to realize like wow, he could answer this in a way that is completely opposite of what I think it's going to go, <laughs> but to still trust God in right. that. Um, I think about the story of Job and how, yeah, he had all these blessings and then they were taken away from him and then he got just double fold. And it wasn't anything necessarily in Job's life that he did wrong, but it just drew him closer to God, a deeper relationship with him. And so, yeah, it's such a beautiful thing to to hear your story to hear your humility and to recognize like this is what god has done for me right. and now yeah i'm just like walking in this gift of life right. 
Um, so yeah, I'd love to keep hearing your story. So you are released. Yeah. You have this prayer now for um, a special someone. Right, right. <laughs> how, how did you get to News Palm? How did you get married? What 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 happens next? So like to the scripture parts, I, my prayer that I kept in my forefront was Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Mm-hmm. For some reason, that stuck out to me. I was in church one day, and they it was like the focus scripture. Yeah, and it was I'm not going to remember it verbatim. But it's mostly, um, you know, it's, I know the plans I have that that God has for me. They're not to hurt me. They're not to harm me, but to make me better and to make me stronger. Yeah. And knowing that and believing that is something I leaned on for those years. And Mm -hmm. when I got out, I just, I don't know, I just took off running. I mean, I got out. I got my driver's license that first day and I had called a friend I had met in rehab who ran a painting company and he hired me for $8 an hour (laughs) to paint houses. Um, It was was in September, so it was at the end of the season. Mm -hmm. And I was like, look, I just need to do something. I was in the federal halfway house, downtown Peoria, and um, my grandpa and my mom they had a truck for me. And mm-hmm. so I had, I was very blessed that I had uh, two bags of clothes, I had a vehicle, and then I had a job and I had a license. And at that time I felt like I had the world. Oh. And it was just like, I was like, here I go. You know, I'm, I, I'm out, I'm gonna build my life. I know what I want and yeah. I'm not gonna allow anything to get in my way. Yeah. And if there's any kind of negativity or any kind of hate or any kind of anything that's going to bring me down I'm it's not going to be a part of my life Mm -hmm. um I just remember I had no friends you know what I'm saying like you're literally all alone Mm -hmm. and and I don't know it just it was crazy I remember I was painting houses and I was telling my story to my foreman, my boss that I was painting with. And he was just like, wow, this is crazy. Like, I can't believe you're here. You know what I mean? And I have a really good work ethic and I was staying, you know, staying as late as I could painting houses and stuff. And he kept talking about how he met this girl on Mm match.com. And I'm like, I'm, I haven't been part of society for a little while, even prior to going to prison, I really wasn't part of society. So I didn't know anything about online dating or anything like that. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, he's like, oh yeah, get on match. And so I paid the $30, which I was making eight bucks an hour. It's not, it doesn't (laughs) go very far. Yeah. Um, But, and then I had, I was living in the halfway house. I paid the $30 to get on match. And the guy who I got the job from painting had a house for rent on the South side. And he said, if you want to, you can meet me over there and we can take a look at it. If you feel like fixing it up for me, you can live in it. So we went over there and it was bad. (laughs) It was probably one of the worst places I've seen. Mm. And I told him that I would work there every evening after work and on the weekends. And I did that for a month. And um, about two weeks into it, I signed up for match. And I'm like, so, and that was just, wow, that was weird. Um, I could not hardly wrap my head around what was going on there. And I'm like, this is no good. Like everybody's 
fake. I, I was, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like it didn't feel right. Mm-hmm. My subscription was about to run up and I was about to be done with it. I'm just like, I, it'll happen when God sees fit. Like I'm yeah. not going to worry about it. <clears throat> and um, I had just finished remodeling the house. I had to redo everything. I mean, the floors, the walls, mm-hmm. the drywall, the mud tape, paint, everything. And right. it was like brand new. Yeah, right there. Doesn't that just feel almost like a picture of like what God was doing in your own life? Of right. Like taking something that seems just, I don't want to call it ruined, but like in need of so much restoration right. and fixing it. So to be able to like go to this house and to physically do this work. Right. That just, that's a really neat picture. It was amazing. Like, honestly, the fact that that it worked out like that, that I got to, that he was like, yeah, here, if you can fix this up, you can, you can live here. Yeah. I got a raise. I, I mean, life seemed really good. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, so the day I was moving in, I had sent a message to Michelle on match and then my subscription was going to end in like, I don't know, I think it was like a week or something like that. And I'm like, sure. I'm done with this. And anyways, she actually reached back out, mm-hmm. which was like, I think she was like one of the only people that would reach out that was a normal person. <laughs> um, anyways, we started talking um, and our, like we were texting back and forth and I had just moved in to, to my house, <clears throat> which there's no better feeling than to have done the remodel. Mm-hmm. And then I had got on Facebook and bought like some, some girl was selling her whole, like basically her whole apartment yeah. for a few hundred dollars because mm-hmm. she, she was going through some things. So I bought a couch and all this stuff. And yeah. I was able to furnish my house and I, I remember sitting there and there was no greater feeling than like, Hey, I'm doing this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, then she messaged me back and we start talking back and forth and she, uh, wanted to meet up and get, get some, get some dinner on Friday night or something like that. She's like, Oh, I want to meet you. Let's do this. And I was, so I, I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm driving home. I said, listen, I'm driving. I stopped. I texted her. I said, I'm driving, but can I call you in 10 minutes? So I got home um, and I called her up and we'd only been talking for, I think, not even, not even 10 days, like maybe a week, just texting, right? Messaging. And I had to tell her, Hey, listen, I have a curfew and have to be home by 9 PM. I'm in, uh, on federal probation. This is my backstory. So our first phone conversation was me telling her everything about mm-hmm. what has happened. And she's just laughing and just laughing. And I'm like, I couldn't get it. And she's just like, Oh, she goes, my friend told me there's no way somebody can work out as much as you and not be in prison or something or not just get out of pr- or asked her when, when did he get released? She goes, and she was like defending me. Like, well, it doesn't mean he was in prison to, to be fit. And it turned out I had just gotten out of prison. So <laughs> I was, I made her a liar right off the bat. Yeah. <laughs> so, but anyways, we ended up hanging out and she, has never, you know, she's as far from understanding like addiction or anything like that Mm -hmm. as you can get, but she saw me for me. Mm -hmm. And I want to say that I really feel like there's been a lot of people that since I've been out have seen me for who I am, but it was in that moment really where 
she knew my story, mm -hmm. but she saw me for who I really am today. Yeah. And um, our journey together over the last seven years have been pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. Like we lived, she had a house in Bloomington and then I lived in this house that I was renting from my boss. And it just, I mean, it just took off. Like we really hit it off. We had a lot in common. We get along amazingly. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I, I couldn't be where I am if it wasn't for God. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely he's definitely made it a lot easier by putting her in my life. Yeah. And um, opened a lot of doors for me. Mm -hmm. um, we've had a lot of ups and downs, just like anybody does. Sure. But nowadays when things are bad and things aren't going right it's just a day it's just a moment i know that it's gonna it's gonna pass i know that we're gonna get through i know that there's nothing i can't overcome mm -hmm. um it doesn't seem so dark and gloomy um i think my the biggest thing i walk away from all this is is life is amazing and every moment you get you need to cherish it mm -hmm. because i've I've had too many phone calls or too many messages of, hey, so-and-so passed away last night or so-and-so overdosed. And it's, you never know when mm -hmm. your time is up. So you just have to cherish every moment that you have. Um, our journey to get here was <clears throat> a little different. Um, we, I was working for that same outfit painting and then I started doing bathroom remodels and decks and sunrooms and I ended up changing companies to where one of my best friends from high school was working who I hadn't talked to for many, many, many years but developed a new relationship with him mm -hmm. again since I was on the, the right path and got my foot in the door there and was working there for about a year and we bought a house. Mm. And so I got my nice little 10 acres of property out in the middle of the country, which in turn makes me drive an hour and 10 minutes <laughs> each way. So I gladly will drive that hour and 10 minutes each yeah. way because it's been something that I've always wanted. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just wild to think that every prayer that I've had, that I've made has seemingly been answered mm -hmm. they're not going to just poof there it is there yeah. you it takes some elbow grease you have to oh, get yeah. in there and do the work and and believe in yourself and have be a good person you know mm -hmm. i mean it's pretty crazy but mm -hmm. i got laid off for the winter after we bought the house and I mean, there's just a lot of things, you know, I just, I got a new mortgage. I've never bought a house uh, and now I no longer have any income. And with being the kind of seasonal work, like bathrooms was kind of up and down and then doing uh, decks and sunrooms is seasonal. We just thought it was best to get my CDL. <clears throat> so uh, we had a savings. Um, I spent our entire savings to get my CDL. Um, I, can, I mean, I, I can drive a truck. I drove a truck many years <laughs> before I had my CDL. I drove sure. a tandem dump out in New Jersey when I probably shouldn't have been. So it was easy going through that, and I loved it, and it allowed us to have some like financial comfort. Mm -hmm. um, but when I got my license, nobody would hire me. Mm. 
Um, I there's because so, of because of my background. Yeah. I was currently on federal probation. I had ten years of federal paper, and I had been out now for almost two years. I think it was. So I got mm-hmm. 16. So it was like 18 end of 18 so i'd been out for a while we'd bought a house i mean obviously i had been doing well but like some of the bigger places like this you know the schneiders and jb hunch whatever every place every place I, my buddy so i had four friends that have driven their whole life and they're sure. like oh hey get your cdl you'll get a job so i got my cdl i spent four grand or whatever it was on getting my license and <clears throat> i'm getting unemployment and trying to trying to keep things going and um, I thought I had a job with TMC and I was getting my buddy lived out in Des Moines and I was gonna go stay with him and I was this was on a Thursday or Friday I think it was and I was leaving Saturday to go stay out there because I started on Monday and they called me back and I said no we're sorry we're not gonna be able to take you on because of this you know Mm -hmm. because your your record I'm like man, so I called the my instructor at the CDL school I went to, and he told me I needed to call over here. Mm-hmm. So I did, and I talked to Mark, uh, who was actually the recruiter at the time. Yeah, and he's like, yeah, come on in. So I remember coming in here, and I'll never forget coming in here. Like I, it was when we it was just the one building down there. And I remember sitting out there on the couch, and then they had like the the mm-hmm. words, the mural. Unless the Lord builds a house, believers work in vain. Yes, yes. And I remember sitting there. I was like, oh wow, that's amazing. Like, this is great. This is it's beautiful. It's yeah. amazing. And they have like integrity and all that on the walls. And and when I was in RDAP, those were like the big, really huge, like integrity and. I'm freezing up and I can't think of the words but anyways it was all there and I'm like man this is wild and I met Tian and we talked and she was just so wonderful and made me feel so comfortable and we talked a little bit about the life of living being a trucker and is Michelle going to be okay and she was really caring and concerning about it and then I met Dale and we did the road test and she's like oh yeah you're good so with all this, did they already know about your background before you came in, or was that like no? Mark end? did. Mark did. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> and so, um, I left, and they're like, I, and I, I said several times, I said, Mark, are you guys sure? Because I don't, I can't be let down again. And I'm like, I'll come in. I'm like, I want to come in for it. Like, oh, come on in. Let's do this. At least, it's been longer than this time. I'm like, yeah, it's been this long. It's been over ninety. You know, it's been a year and a half, almost two years. So I came in and um, I, it went well. And I just remember, like they said, okay, well, you're gonna start April 1st. And April I'm, like, I'm like, are you, are you being serious right now? Like April, are you serious? And they're like, oh yeah, no, April 1st. And it was such a stressful time from the moment I got laid off until April. Cause it was, you know, we had just bought the house earlier in like, like, like midsummer. Mm-hmm. And then I got laid off like right around Christmas. So then from Christmas to April, I would did the, the driving school and was mm-hmm. trying to just keep, you know, keep things moving. Um, that and all the doors that were closed, I couldn't get a job driving anywhere. And I'm like, oh, man, did I make a big mistake? Mm-hmm. Like, holy cow, I think I may have just wasted 
nearly five grand. Like, mm-hmm. Nobody's going to hire me. And for me, it was kind of a twofold because when I am not that like when I got sober and got clean and have started living my life, the person that who I was died mm-hmm. and I am who I am now. But to have that continually hinder everything that I'm trying to do along the way, Ugh. like buying a house. Oh, my gosh. It was the worst nightmare. I mean, it was so bad trying to buy that house. It was the wor- one of the worst experiences I've ever had was trying to buy that house. <clears throat> we got through it, you know, with a lot of prayer and a lot of just doing the right thing and, and trudging forward. This doesn't happen just poof. Here it is. <clears throat> it's taken a lot of work and a lot of lot of lot of moments where it's like, holy cow, this is this is a lot. Yeah. To drive away from here, feeling the way I felt, like the relief of knowing, hey, I know I've got a job now. That's a good job at a good place. And I really didn't really know how good of a place yet because you're just starting, you know, but it felt good. And I drove away and I was nearly in tears telling her, hey, I got got a job. I'm starting April 1st. And I'm like, so we're going to be okay. And this is, it seems like a great, amazing place. And I just, I just still can't believe that God brought me here. Mm. Uh, All the trucking companies. I mean, this wasn't. Like I doesn't I didn't apply, apply here only and got sure. here. Like I, I could have landed at any of these other places, but the fact that this started from one prayer in 2011 in a garage from somebody who was broken and scared, and I land here as such a faith-based company where you can freely say, "Hey, God's amazing," yeah. and you can pray and you can talk freely about Jesus, and it's just one of those things like where. Nothing's a coincidence. Yeah. It's all a path that yeah. that you have to keep your eyes and ears open and to see the, your answers, mm-hmm. to see the prayers that are being answered. You're not going to smack you upside the head and say, hey, I answered your prayer. <laughs> and you better be careful for what you pray for yeah. because the way it comes at you, it might not be how, it's probably not going to be how you see it. You know, like yeah. I had to get laid off in order to land here, right? Mm-hmm. But the journey is what it is. And if you have true faith, then you don't have any worry. Yeah. Fear and faith can't live underneath the same roof. Yeah. So wow. that's why I'm so happy every day. <laughs> when people ask me how I'm doing and I tell you fantastic, I mean it with yeah. all, all I am. like. God's amazing and life is beautiful. I quit smoking. I smoked for 25 years, Mm -hmm. but I quit six years ago. Mm -hmm. It's just, there's nothing that you can't do. Period. There's, Mm -hmm. there's nothing you can't overcome. There's nothing that you can't get through. There's nothing worth giving up over. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is keep putting one foot in front of the other and have faith that God has a plan for you. Mm. And that's I, 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 that's how I've gone about my life. Wow. And so what year was it that you originally started at New Spawn as a driver? I started oh. driving April 1st, 2019. 2019. Okay. Yeah. And then from there, I drove for 18 months. 
and through many, many conversations about the scorecard with Rick Schmidt and arguing about being able to go 65 versus 61 <laughs> and what have you, I don't remember how it happened, but I had said, so you guys hired drivers uh, in the office ever? And he's, oh yeah, we do that. We like to do bring DMs in here. Why would you be interested? I said, oh yeah, I'd love, I'd love to. Yeah, I mean, if there's ever an opening, just let me know. And eventually there was an opening and that's how I ended up in the office. So naturally when I came in the office, kind of with my background and then being a driver and I was kind of scared and mm-hmm. kind of freaked out. That you'd be perceived wrong or like just what, what was scary about that transition? Um, I think, I don't know, have tattoos. Um, beard i don't know like, i just feel i <laughs> yeah, don't know the beard, the truck, beard is very scary right? it's, just, it's just weird you know it just felt weird to be in, i've never worked in an office setting i've always been construction i've always worked i was either building houses doing landscaping so i worked for my cousin framing houses and then we did a lot of roofing um i did a lot of uh, attic remodels and basement remodels and mm-hmm. kitchens and bathrooms and what have you so it's a whole different work environment um yeah. But it's something that I always wanted to do. I knew I couldn't build my whole life. So I knew it needed something to fall back on. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll drive a truck. And I love driving a truck. I mean, it was probably my favorite thing that I've ever done was drive that truck. Yeah. But it just, it made sense. Mm-hmm. It, it made sense to come in here. I was really excited to be able to help drivers. I feel like my experiences in life and my experiences over the road um, would help and mm-hmm. then it'd be nice to be home um, so I, I took the position when I came in here I kind of was just like well I want people to see that I don't know I belong here I suppose mm-hmm. I mean I guess I was embarrassed maybe of my past a little bit sure um, that's taken some time you know I've been in the office now almost four years Mm-hmm. three three and a half four years so i don't know it's i've told a lot of people that i work with side by side my story and they've encouraged me to not be ashamed that yeah god's worked miracles in my life and to, to embrace it and not be afraid of it mm-hmm. my sister-in-law <clears throat> has me be a pa- panelist a couple weeks ago for the university of illinois uh college of medicine um so i did that and spoke in front of like 200 plus students and shared my story and got really good feedback on that. So it's given me a little bit more courage to Mm -hmm. come out and share my story with y'all and let you know that no matter what you're going through, no matter how bad life feels at the moment, it can get better and it will if you just have faith Mm -hmm. and put in the work that needs to be done. Yeah. Yeah. What I like about how, um, the verse in Jeremiah spoke to you is the book of Jeremiah is actually pretty dark. <laughs> um, he's a prophet that is um, essentially living in a time period where people aren't turning to God anymore and hard things are happening. And yet in the midst of that, he speaks hope. Um, and so, yeah, I like that. That's the verse that you kind of cling on to because yeah, there's just going to be different seasons of life. There's going to be hard times, whether it's losing a job, uh, drug addiction, abuse. I mean, just the world that we live in, it's filled with hard things. And 
I'm sure many of us might be like surprised, like, okay, there are, whether they're in the office or they're a driver or whoever they are, I mean, we all have some sort of history or past. And um, sometimes I actually marvel because in your story, I feel like God knows how much each one of us can handle. And so like he, he knew you could handle all of this. He knew like you're a strong man and he could use you for good. And I don't know if some of, not saying some people are weaker and they can't handle as much, but he doesn't give us more than we can bear. And so you must have a really strong back <laughs> or something, <laughs> but it's true. He, he knows how much each one of us can carry and um, he's not gonna let us carry it alone. Right. So yeah, nice. yeah. I think your story brings a lot of hope. Um, it shows how God can heal and build up the broken things. And I'm really, really glad you're willing to share it. Yeah, it's been good for sure. So any any last thoughts or comments? No, just, uh, just remember that each of us are going through something. Mm-hmm. You never know what, um, just be kind. I mean, sometimes life, um, can be intense it can be frustrating it, it can be maddening yeah. but just remember that what's going on in your life it'll pass mm-hmm. um, it's not going to be easy yeah those things worth doing never are easy yeah and, and life is worth doing yeah and that's really all i got okay awesome well thank you anthony yep. appreciate it hey everyone this is caleb from new Spawn recruiting and I'd love to answer any questions you have about driving with us. Give us a call at 309-268-1199 or visit newsbombjobs.com. Hope to talk to you soon. You've been listening to Terminal Exchange, the official podcast of Newsbomb Transportation. If you're enjoying our content, please leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word about these important topics and invite more people into the conversation. You can rate and review us on your podcast app or visit us online at terminalexchange.org. New episodes arrive every other Tuesday, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow Newsbomb on your favorite social media platforms and be the first to know when new episodes are released. Thanks for listening. Until next time, own every moment and stay purpose-driven.